This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. And today we're going to talk about The Eagle Has Landed, a 1975 novel by Jack Higgins. Not his real name, but uh, that's the best name for him if you're talking about him as a writer, I think. Uh, I'd read this years ago. Um, had you read it before? I had not. I, oh. had, I had not. I had not even. I mean, I only vaguely had heard of the title, and that's about it. What about the movie? The the movie I had kind of known about, but I had actually not seen until this weekend. So hmm. this was this was Tabula Rasa for me. Wow, that's interesting. So uh, I'm. Uh, I'm a big movie fan. Like I, I don't usually talk about movies uh, on this podcast, but um, I mean, whenever there's a movie adaptation, we watch it, right, to go along with yep. the book. But um, I, uh, I was a big movie fan. One of the, I love genre films like westerns and uh, submarine movies and uh, bank robber movie, you know, whatever genre. And the. Uh, the the one of my favorite genres is is World War II movies, and there are I want to say thousands of them, but that's probably not right. It's probably multiple hundreds of them. Um, in fact, there's probably <laughs> I want to say there are as many deaths on screen in World War II uh, as there were in World War II. I think that's not true at all. No, no. But it feels no. like you know when you see the same actor getting killed over and over again in World War II movies. And they make them back to back to back, and just especially in the '70s was just full of World War II movies. Um, this is one of those movies that is is in the top tier of uh, World War II movies for me. It's a, it's a it's a pretty strong movie. What it reminded me of, I'm sure you've seen this movie since you are a movie fan. One of my dad's favorite movies, and one I've embraced as well, is Where Eagles Dare. Of course. Of course, and that's because even even the titling and 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 how they label the characters on on screen is it, I mean it's like they must have come out of the same studio, must have come the same production house to have, and you notice the start of this movie exactly the same start right in the mountains. I, I mean yeah, it's, it's mountains because we we don't get mountains for the rest of. The, I was confused at first. I was like, did they move this movie to? move the action from the little English village to somewhere else. <laughs> no, we're just going to have some, some mountains because that mountains represent Germany, uh, which my, I, which when my friend Cora who lives on the coast in Bremen, nowhere near mountains would kind of scream, scream in frustration at, but you know, no, no, that's not, that's not, uh, see, I think that's what I thought at first too, in rewatching it. But uh, I realized, well, yeah, why did they put that there? It is the opening of where Eagles dare. Um, which I believe is uh, like three or four years earlier at least. Um, but actually that's because uh, we're following Canaris on his journey back from the Eagle's Nest where he just mm-hmm. had a meeting with Hitler. So that's the excuse for having those mountains, right? It's it's, it's a very flimsy excuse because, I mean, Canaris disappears from most of this movie. It's true. Um, much more than the book. So it's yeah, like, yeah. So they uh, so, did, did just want to use that use that scenery for any way they could, and yeah, it's kind of a flimsy not? rod. It worked with uh, where Eagles there. I mean, the novel, the novel um, 
gives us see- the scenes in the Eagle's Nest that the movie only summarizes when Canaris is is explaining what Hitler has done. I mean, the book pedantically describes all that action, whereas the the movie just summarizes. The, oh yeah, Hitler was himself, and Bormann was an ass, and et cetera, et cetera, and that kind of encapsulates all that. And of course, the movie drops the framing device entirely, which mm-hmm. I prefer. I don't like this framing device. I'm going to rant for a bit. I don't understand why Jack Higgins feels he needs a framing device that has that. I mean, when I first started listening to this audio book, mm-hmm. be honest, I thought, am I listening to the right book? Mm. Because I'm listening and this guy's going around looking at looking for this 400 year old grave. I'm thinking, this is this is the book we're supposed to be listening to. This has nothing to do with World War II. We're not in World War II. The guy's not even looking for World War II, and he kind of stumbles over this mystery. And the person that stumbles over the mystery, our framing device, is a character that's the same name as the author, which kind of made my eyes roll a little bit. Like, really? You had to put yourself in your own book? I like I like this technique. So this is a this is um it's not well documented on the internet. On the Eagles, where Eagles Dare book Wikipedia entry, they call it a false document. Um, I think uh, there are people who are better at it than uh, Jack Higgins. Um, and I think that the, both the intro and the concluding segment, the, the frame, you know, the research frame for the novel that he's telling, it's a true history of, a uh, secret history of an incident during 1943. Um, has been done better by other folks, including Michael Crichton, who used it multiple times. Um, most Heck, even, even John Carter, the recent John Carter movie, movie does it better. John Car- uh, John Carter of Mars, yeah. Yeah, that, that technique is there as well. It's a good point. Um, I didn't even think about that. It, it, but it's in, that's maybe, in the original book as well, right? That's um, – yeah. yeah, that yeah, that, that yeah, that's a manuscript that he's left behind. Yeah, Burroughs. Yeah, Burroughs right. uh, is. Uh, I'm not sure that Burroughs is the. It, we we never learned the name. Of no, he, no, no. It, the, the movie makes it Burroughs, but, right? But I don't think right. we learn the name of the of the framer. He just says my uncle, right? Which is which is okay. I mean, I think putting yourself in the frame felt a little odd to me. Well, to me, it, it makes it like. I was I started to doubt that it wasn't history, and I think that that's the point. So, you, you, have you you've read uh, Eaters of the Dead by Michael Crichton? Oh yeah, and I've seen the Thirteenth Warrior. Yeah, so the that's another one that drops the frame, right? Uh, as far as I remember, it doesn't have the the framing device, and uh, it doesn't have the extensive footnotes that the book does, right? <laughs> right. Um. In fact, Michael Crichton goes so far as to like. Uh, he, he, I think he puts false documentation on the copyright page at some points, and and uh, in the footnotes at the end, I think it says in the Wikipedia entry. Anyways, it says uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, quoted lines is from the Necronomicon. <laughs> yeah, so that's <laughs> so um, he's yeah he's tipping his hand I'm, a little bit there. I mean, it, it can it can be useful if it. If it just doesn't feel like the author's doing it just for just for kicks, like Mary Gentle's Ashes Secret History has the framing device woven through the actual narrative. So we get this narrative of this 15th century mercenary, whereas 
we have the framing device of the academics of the present trying to make sense. Like, who was this person? Why have we heard about her? And where did this manuscript come from? That works. Mm. Here, well, I kept Jack following Jack Higgins around, bored the crap out of me when we actually got to the it's actual. It's a bit slow, yeah. We got the actual plot. I mean, the the book really only picked up for me once we actually started really actually getting things actually rolling. The, Did the, you watch the movie, the movie first? Or? No, I watched the movie second. Okay, okay, good to know. The, 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 the movie avoids this and gets things rolling pretty quickly, which I, I, I appreciated that more cinematic aspect. Like, okay, let's, let's focus on the actual event itself rather than the, the onion layers of false and not so false history wrapped around it. That didn't really intrigue me so much. I mean, secret histories generally don't really aren't my jam. If you're going to go full on alternate history, I feel you generally should just go full on alternate history and be done with it rather than saying, Oh yeah, this really happened, but nobody ever knows. Maybe that's just a personal taste mm-hmm. that doesn't with a few exceptions that usually doesn't work for me so well. Well, well, one of the things that I th- I think does work, other than yeah, yeah, I agree that the framing at the beginning and the framing at the end is is pretty pretty slow. I, I do like that there's a secret, right, and then it was uncovered in this way. I think that it took a bit long to get there, um, so I I am not upset about it having a frame. Um, however, I think overall the writing was really excellent. Just really super clear it feels like uh, transparent prose i'm never confused as to who mm-hmm. who's writing uh, uh, sorry who's talking what's going on the, there's um in the like if you think about how movie editing works and movie making works there's some problems in the film that are because the it follows the the, the novel so closely um, it it makes very few changes. What can you can you enumerate uh, all the changes you noticed between uh, between the, the, the book the, and the film? The the time frame in the film is very much more compressed than in the book. I it mean, feels uh, like it's more compressed. Is it more compressed? Uh, so. I, I think Liam. I think Liam has been there longer in the book than he actually is in the village before the actual Germans show up. It feels like you're right. That, you're right. that, that in the, the film, the Liam's it sure been there for a while. I mean, she uh, was uh, Molly Pryor falls in love with him uh, almost instantly, right? Um, which is in the movie, which is pretty funny. Um, and there is a an editing. I think it's an I think it's an editing budget problem in the film, and that's probably because uh, because of the director and such. So apparently, um, um. Michael Caine wanted. Michael Caine was offered a role in that 1967 movie where Eagles Dare, um, and he turned it down. Um, and so they asked him why he wanted to be in this movie. He said, uh, "I didn't want to miss being in a movie with the title Eagles." <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what role he was going to play in? Where no, Eagles I there? don't. Although it's really funny the because. Richard- I'm trying to imagine would it have been the Richard Burton role. That would have been different. Um, I, there was another actor. I'm trying to remember who it was, and I want to say it's Richard Burton, but it wasn't. It was the it was Richard Harris. Who is he in that movie as well? Um, where he goes there, I don't think he is. No, I don't. No. So Richard Harris was going to be the lead in uh, where 
uh, he was going to be Liam, I think, um, Liam Devlin uh, in this movie, but was uh, found to have gone to a, a real IRA meeting in the United States, and they didn't want the controversy. <laughs> so, Whoops. <laughs> so they hired Donald Sutherland to play a, uh, an Irishman. <laughs> well, I know. I know, I know that's that seemed like an odd choice. I'm his accent kind of I, wobbled. I was totally good wobbled, with it. He's wobbled a bit. Th- these are these are. I mean, I love the way Michael Caine acts. I don't think he's the greatest world's greatest actor. I just love to see him do his sort of ticks on screen. But um, one of the things, one of the differences between the the book and the movie is that um, there is a line in the book. That's in the movie, but we only get it the second time. So at the end of the film, uh, either uh, Liam or Molly says, we only had two days, right? And so you get the sense that he's only been there two days ahead of the uh, paratroopers. But actually, uh, and it feels like that in the film edit, but actually we, we know he's been doing a hell of a lot in two days because he's already acquired the trucks and the jeep right, right. he's uh yeah. he's painted them he's he's romanced this lady he's established a, a reputation all over town beat up some guy like there's just not enough time to get it all done there so i think that that was an editing issue um and there are a number of things that are dropped for the film that show how rich the this the preamble rather than the action is in the in the text i was thinking you know i'm three quarters of the way through the book and uh the air the maybe two-thirds of the way through the book and they haven't even gotten off the ground yet right yeah liam's doing his work uh, but they're still you know painting the uh dakota they're still um doing their parachute drops in british uh paratrooper uniform right in a barn they're not quite ready yet um, and so the preamble, the, the, the amount of time spent um, setting up is, I think, incredibly interesting as to it being not a film, being a, being a novel. It feels like a big book. And I think one of the reasons this is such a good book, I, I think it is a good book anyways, is because of all the um, all the interesting parallels that are going on in it. And parallels with reality, parallels with uh, other things, parallels within Jack Higgins' own life, not not the character Jack Higgins, but the ac- uh, the uh, writer. Um, and even even the title, right? In 1976, when this movie came out, um, in 1975, when the book came out, everyone knows this phrase, the eagle has landed, right? Is there anyone around the world that doesn't know it? Just babies, right? Yeah. And now today, that's sort of, uh, maybe people have forgotten what it is, but it's like man's first transmission from another world, right? And here it is set during World War II. Like, Jack Higgins, uh, he knows what he's doing there, right? He didn't accidentally pick that title. But you, you, can, see, you can see a resonant parallel. I mean... The moon landing was an audacious feat that no one thought could be done. Right. Here, here, having German paratroopers land on the east coast of England is similarly audacious for World War II. So that that is that is quite the feat. And so, yeah, I can see how Jack Higgins is saying, "Oh, yeah, that'd be that'd be a good code phrase for 
for something so out of the box and extraordinary to have have occurred. It's also, um, I mean, kind of sadly um, parallel in that this is supposedly a suppressed truth, right? And yep. some people, some very stupid people, think that the the moon landing is is a, a false truth, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I I put them in the same category as those idiots who think that the Earth is flat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, those 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 folks are. In, it's like whatever they're doing. Uh, I, I don't think they're worth. Well, what, what, yeah, what, 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 whatever uh, pharmacological substances they're ingesting, keep them away from me. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they're, just, they're just like I. It's like it's it's like if if monkeys could talk, you know, they they probably wouldn't talk about very interesting things, and I think that's what's going on there. It doesn't matter. The important part is. This is a, a really interesting book in terms of parallels. So I wanted to just point out a few of them and see if you started noticing any as well. Because once I started thinking about it, it, it's like there's tons of parallels in here. So how many kernels have we got in this book? Uh, let's see. Um, least oh, we, 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 uh, we at least two. Yeah, two major kernels. So two major, two major kernels. Steiner, right? And we also have um, the... Colonel who puts him on the on the job. Um, oh yeah, and and the American Colonel. And the American Colonel, right? And there are three kinds of, um, you know, veteran, right? One is um, a veteran of uh, how did he put it? Of um, the reserves. Right, that's the American uh, colonel who's who's all gung ho to get some action before he's sent back to do more training uh, to become a training officer. Right? Yeah, he's yeah played by Larry Hagman in the film, and he really comes across as like I'm desperate for action. I really want right, this. It's right. like they're they do a send good me job back. of making you th- think Larry Hagman's pathetic. Um, that. I, those kinds of roles where you know the actor goes in and makes himself look like an idiot, um, thankless task, right? Because nobody says, you know, that Larry Hagman, I'm going to cast him as my lead. <laughs> After that, well, like, ten, nine years later, he gets Dallas, so you know. Well, yeah, but that's a you know that's not like a, but, but, a but massive I would, but, film but, role. But is I mean, his uh, bombacity kind of reminds me of um, a brain freeze. Um, of um, be, 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 Carol O'Connor in mm-hmm. in um movie um uh, you know the movie um yeah uh, is cool no it's not cool hand Luke it's like that though no 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 in in in, in the 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 tank film uh, uh, hmm. not uh, sure which one you mean but a World War Two film yes. Okay. Kelly's Heroes. Kelly's Heroes. Okay. Because There's he, an he over, plays the, a over the top cartoon with Donald Sutherland as well. Yeah. Uh, again, it's like wow. It's like, yeah. It's like yeah. He he, he plays the crazy uh, tank tank commander. Yeah. Right. So uh, we've got this this uh, sort of incompetent noob uh, as the leader of the American Rangers. Right. Mm-hmm. We've got. The uh, hyper competent Steiner, who uh, we hyper competent and non Nazi. No, yes, he's definitely not a Nazi. Well, That's made incredibly clear to us, um, and rightly so. There was non Nazis in 
in you know uh, in the war. Uh, Canaris for one, right? They executed him. Yep, keep we get to see that yeah right on screen in this movie. Although he was killed for something else in real life, yeah, in, in the movie. Uh, he's killed. Well, he was he was killed for for fighting against Hitler, right? Well, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah the plot. being in, involved in the plot. But apparently, you know, in the in the book here and in the movie as well, um, the, they have him saying, you know, the war is already lost. Um, which it was essentially, you know, the Russians are pushing them back, and uh, eventually the Allies are going to invade from the West as well. So it, there is a uh, a truth to what's going on there. Um, so we've got those, we've got these two polarities, right? The uh, hyper competent, uh, uber experienced uh, Steiner, and the incompetent lack of experienced um uh ranger colonel i can't remember his name and and there that's not the only parallels of colonels right because there's also who's the uh i'm trying to remember their oh, i'm trying to remember all their names robert duvall's character who's um in the movie uh okay here we are um i've got a list mm. Uh, no, no. Okay, so we've got Colonel Steiner, Liam Devlin, Joanna, Joanna Gray, Molly Pryor, Harvey Preston, who is removed from the book, uh, from the movie completely. Um, Mac, Max Radel was was Robert Duvall's. Radel, uh, right, Colonel yeah, Radel. Okay, so he is again another kind of uh, colonel with a kind of professional com- competence, and he's he's dying, right? Throughout the book, he's dying. I, th- I think he's one yep. of the most interesting characters, actually. Um, and that's not the only one. There's another one, too. Um, yeah, he's not a colonel, but he's a leader. And that's the uh, the priest. And the reason I'm, I'm classifying him in the same way is because, he, like, St- uh, like, not like Steiner, like uh, Radel, he has um, war wounds that affect his 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 judgment right so he has sort of a uh a feeling like he's another of these these characters if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um of the parallel characters that are going on here other parallels um do you notice any others because i think there's do- dozens of them around well you, um you, you you can go parallels and uh, and uh, lost reflections. You could you could yeah, parallel jo, jo, um, you could parallel the, Molly and Joanna, for example. Joanna, I mean Molly, be, being the, the young ingenue who is going to who is getting romanced by the other side, whereas Joanna was as we as we get her backstory in South Africa treated very badly by the British. So it's almost like, it's almost like Molly's almost like the younger version of Joanna who's mm-hmm. going going through a, a going to go through a terrible time though she doesn't know it yet and I could I could almost see Molly turning out to be an IRA sympathizer after this or or anti IRA um whatever I can't remember the the English forces in uh, Northern Ireland because just just how badly uh, Orangeman maybe yeah the orange an Orangeman after what yeah after what. 
she goes through with Liam and the, the Germans. So they have, you have that. Um, you have the siblings, of course. You have you met you mentioned Father Philip. You have Father Philip contrasted with her sister Pamela. Mm-hmm. Both of the same first name with the P, which is, I guess, we're supposed to make, make, think they're like a duality back mm-hmm. and forth. Mm-hmm. I, th- I was thinking about. Um... You could also you could also go to uh, Himmler Churchill. Because Himmler is pulling the strings on one end and Churchill, since this is whole thing is uh, a lie, pulling the strings on the other. Mm. Well, that's uh, that's, you know, the tricky the trickiness of Churchill. Right. He, he was a big fan of gadgets and and command. Gambits, he was yeah. the, he's the commando guy. And they even quote him um, in the right. They say action this day. That's the the bad colonel, uh, the ranger colonel. Pitts. Pitts, Pitts was his name. He's yeah. the Pitts. He's the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's like yeah. I wasn't too subtle on. Uh, no, I mean the, the names are actually quite awesome. Um, Devlin is, is he's devil devilish like a rogue, but he's um, again he's IRA, but he he's he's not doing it because he thinks it's gonna help his cause. Yeah, he's yeah, doing- he's doing it as an adventure. And then he's also. I'm the last adventurer. That's right. Last great adventurer. Yeah. And I, I think I might be in the audio drama only. There's an audio drama that keeps the frame and it uh, keeps a lot of the things that are in the, in the book, but doesn't have everything. There's uh, there's a lot of lot dropped from the book. Oh, sorry, from the movie. Um, but there's a line in there if something like uh, if if they had asked you to go and uh, kidnap Hitler, um, you'd have done that too. And he says yes. Yeah. Um, and that, that's in the movie too. Okay, there you go. And that's um, maybe that's only in the movie. Uh, in any case, turns out that that actually is another book uh, by Jack Higgins later <laughs> on. It's a se- so there's actually four books with Liam Devlin in it, uh, or in them. And the last one I think is called The Eagle Has Flown. Which is um, uh, obviously a, a direct call call out to this and uh, this this book, and that um, one is also available as an audio drama. So it's it's kind of um, it's interesting to think like in the movie Michael Michael Caine gets first billing, um, but I think in the novel Liam Devlin is is actually more of the main character because yeah, we spend be- more time with him. Yeah, he's 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 definitely. I I mean, I, I could see in the in the in the book how Steiner kind of is the hypercompetent character that the author grows to love as the book goes on, which is why I think he uh, his story gets continued in the Eagle Has Flown and mm-hmm. why why Steiner is so charismatic. I think his his intention was to make Devlin to be the main character. Uh, Steiner tries to steal the book out from under him and to an extent succeeds. The movie, however, whoever wrote, wrote uh, I didn't catch who did the screenplay, wrote, read the book. It's like, oh, the main character is clearly Steiner. We're going to that's our lead. I mean, consider how the movie changes so that Steiner actually gets his shot at the fake Churchill, which we don't get in the book at all. And it's kind of weirdly implausible. Like, how in the world is Steiner going to find Churchill and get to him it's 
I mean, if it wasn't Michael Caine playing or it wasn't named as the lead of this not of this movie, it just would not even work at all. But yet, Steiner has to die in the movie, having got his shot. <laughs> and and think about it. He dies. He died. Yeah. He um. He dies not knowing. He, he, he thinks he thinks he's he's killed Churchill. He 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 he, he, die, he dies with the false knowledge that he killed Churchill. Mm-hmm. He dies not to say happy. He dies. He he dies with his mission as far as he knows is completed, which yeah, is sacrifices. You know whether it was a good mission or a bad mission, the mission was completed. Yeah. So so, so I gotta I gotta respect that. I mean Steiner sacrificed yeah. his life to get the and he he died thinking he'd done the right thing or at least the correct thing even even if his superior and his superior superior are going to get a. The heads chopped off by Himmler. He's done the right thing. He's done. He's done right. And you can, you can respect. I mean, I, I think one of the reasons why you do this is, and this ties in with um, where Eagles Dare showing in World War Two. The problem is trying to show any Nazi in a positive light is a fraught thing, <laughs> and it'd be maybe. It's now even more so now that we have real Nazis coming back again. So how how do you do it? There's like to, there's like forty of them, dude. There's not. It's not a real. That's a media hype, right? I mean, in the states, the the real Nazi movement is is a I, 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 tiny. I know, but it's ridiculous. I, there's not it, actually it, more of them. I know there aren't many, but the whole the whole idea of how do you, how do you show World War Two Nazis sympathetically and not really uh it it is an issue it is an issue i mean there there are a lot of movies from the 70s where yeah they've got i mean one of the things that's so interesting about uh, about this book is if you look at the cover it's got like swast a giant swastika on every version right this is not a popular thing but uh you know today you you can't go around putting giant swastikas on things um Uh, however yeah. For me, when I was a kid or you know teenager or whatever, and I'm I'm watching these movies, I go to the video store. If it has a swastika on the cover, I'm watching that movie because it means it's a World War II movie, and there's nobody better. I mean, honestly, how many Japanese war movies were there? Very few. Um, uh, yeah, Midway. They're, they're hateable, but they're not hateable like Nazis are hateable. They're they're not the iconic hateable, right? And not- so. Uh, last night I, I even tweeted uh, the trailer for um, Cross of Iron, uh, that Sam Peckinpah movie from mm-hmm. 1977, and it's not the greatest movie, but it's a great movie in a certain sense because it's the Eastern Front and you're trying to have sympathy for uh, these uh, Panzer guys on retreat and you know sort of the horribleness of war and it's you know there's nothing more fun than a Good Nazi shoot him up, um, and the the strange parallels with this this story continue to to this day, or at least to the recent past. Um, Quentin Tarantino did his own version of this kind of right with Inglorious Bastards. Bastards, where yeah, yeah, the the plot is we're gonna go kill Hitler, right? And they go to kill Hitler, but they actually kill Hitler. It's like what? <laughs> Yeah, that, what they they go for the straight on. Let's let's uh, screw up history. Let's it's not gonna be a secret history. Let's just go ahead and go for it. I admire that audacity. It's like okay, so we're going. <laughs> it is and, hilarious. Yeah, you know, once again we get 
I mean, um, I think it's mainly the, the charisma of the actor, but we get a German we can respect and like as a character. Which one are you talking about? Uh, Karl Hans Landa. Oh, we don't like him. Oh, we respect oh, no, the I, acting. Oh, oh no, I, I, I mean, I mean, yeah, he's a horrible human being, but we love he's seeing delightful. him on the screen. He's, he's delightful awesome. to, it's delightful to watch. Yes, but, but unless you have the 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 charisma of that character actually doing that on doing that in any media for, to make a German in World War II palatable is a tricky thing. Mm-hmm. Weird sidebar. Mm-hmm. Back in the eighties, back 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 when the world was young, I played this. There was this computer tactical video game where you basically and the the icons were just ASCII characters, so it was really primitive graphics. So basically, it was tactical war on the on the Western Front in World War II after Normandy. Basically, Americans versus Germans. You could play either side, and this was these were the days where you had tons of manuals and documents for your game rather than you know having as PDS because PDS mm-hmm. didn't exist. And so you get to reading the manual and it talks about all the all, all the characters, American, German, on these types of things, all have personalities, backstory sure. and all that stuff. So I was reading this and it's like – and the, except for one asshole German officer, all, I mean the, the, the leader of the Germans is this guy is like saying he doesn't like the Nazis and if he's – anybody in his command is going to do it the old World War One German way and that's the right way and the Nazis can go – can go uh suck on it and i was thinking okay that makes that makes someone be able to play as the germans and not thinking oh god i'm playing awful nazis i'm playing an honorable german soldier who hates nazis okay i can live with that and there's just one nazi on the team so i could just send him in and get him killed and just have everyone else be good germans that i can actually fight respectively as mm-hmm. i thought that was game can't remember i, I think it was a. Uh, Computer ambush is it's like it, it's like from the 1980s that had no graphics. Mm. You basically had it was like you programmed your moves as far as okay, I'm gonna move up three squares. If I see somebody shoot and and it's then single player or two player, um, uh, it, it, either you could do that. You could either play against uh, the computer or you could play against a human opponent who would uh, also program their moves and then the computer would resolve everything. Right. It was kind of it was kind of like. The board game Squad Leader, mm-hmm. except on the computer and with very primitive graphics, and it was just lots of fun. You know, those manuals from uh, games back then were amazing. I have uh, the one for Battle of Britain, the LucasArts game, um, or maybe it's called Lucasfilm Games back then. Um, and that it's just like a you know a, a spiral ring binder full of uh, World War II aircraft and. Uh, history like they just put they had no no uh special oh. effects to put into the game at that time they just so they put all their effort into you know enriching the uh enriching the experience with documentation and i think that that w- one of the things uh, you know i get upset about when i'm watching a movie or reading a book when it's when people don't know what the fuck they're talking about I, I feel like I shouldn't read the book or watch the movie. Um, so in listening to this, I'm like, I know everything about World War II. I've been watching World War II movies forever. I've seen all the documentaries. I've read, uh, you know, everything about World War II, except, you know, I, I don't know the Japanese and that well. But I know the European uh, Western side incredibly well. Um, 
so I'm like listening to this book is I don't think there is a single mistake. One one uh, question I I had was oh wait uh, maybe the Pentagon didn't exist at that point because um, it was started in I think it started building 41 and they didn't finish it uh, until 43 or something. Or, no, maybe they started in 37 and finished in 41 or something. I looked it up. He's right. It did exist. All the guns, <laughs> all the uniforms, all the um, – everything is right in this book. There's not – as far as I could tell, there wasn't a single little detail off. And the amount of time he spends just with with Radel and uh, going through the, the, the Steiner – documents radel going through the steiner documents the canaris stuff everything sort of builds up this beautiful picture so that we can have this experience of basically a a, a beautiful version of an auto scorzeni raid right it's without the scorzeni yeah it's explicitly called out several times or his name is explicitly called out scorzeni um is an amazing figure um but he is he's SS, right? So yeah. In the end, I mean, yeah, he's not he's not the uh, concentration camp SS. He's not the uh, Einsatzgruppen SS, but he's still SS. You can't you can't make him the featured loving character uh, uh, like Steiner uh, uh, is. Uh, 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 finish your statement, and then I'm gonna counteract you there a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, so in this, we have sort of a false um, setup to give us this wonderful adventure where, again, I think the parallels are so interesting. Steiner's uh, parents were German and American, and he was brought up in England, right, or raised in England or went to school in England. So his father's German, his mother's American. I think somewhere in the book it says, you know, if it was reversed, um, you'd, uh, I'd be on the other side if my mother was... Uh, uh, German and my father was American, I'd be on the other side. And there, there's a little uh, scene when they're releasing the hostages, right? The right. mother says, um, thank you, what's your name? And then, um, uh, I don't like what you're doing, but thank you anyways. <laughs> and then, uh, I think, maybe it's in the movie only, the kid says, or maybe the audio drama, the kid says um why are you german yeah it's not in the movie or in the book yeah it must, must be, be in the audio, audio drama. drama yeah but it's the same idea it's like why why are why are you the bad guy um why? and that goes right back to the opening uh in the village with you know the 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 uh priest figure who again the the sort of colonel figure uh these incompetent or competent or semi-competent leaders uh, is hiding the the truth that they kind of like these guys, even though they're they're bad. Yep. Okay. So uh, so a couple clarifications. Um, sure. Computer ambush is actually from 1991. I actually found. I actually just googled and found it. I I I, I uh, DM'd you a couple screenshots so you can throw that in the show notes to showing what this game looked like. You can see how primitive the graphics really were. Um, but yeah. But I forgot that it was actually even a Fold out map that was in the that was in the box too. I've forgotten about that. Um, as far as Quizzeni, um Harry Turtle Dove's World War series. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah. I think Squ- we talked about it before. 
We might have. I hadn't mentioned that Scorzeni is a character in the World War novels. He starts doing missions against the aliens. And it's clear that Turtle Dove really likes Scorzeni as a character. How can anybody not love Scorzeni as a character? He's wonderful as a character. I mean, as as and all, he gets a lot of screen time in those novels, doing basically doing daring raids against the against the race. I mean, he never gets to free Mussolini because the divergence point in the in the novels before that happens. It's 1942 that the aliens land, so Scorsese gets to do uh, lightning raids against uh, the aliens and uh, be awesome. He also he also has a colonel in uh, his. Uh, Book. I forgot his name offhand. A German colonel who basically is kind of like now. I wonder if Turtle Dove had read or seen this, read the book or seen the movie because he awfully acts and oh sure does like a lot like Steiner's. Like oh my god, this is, I could see the parallels right away. I, I it didn't actually um, come up because of that, but I, I I just happened to see a picture of uh, that. 1977 uh, Sam Peckinpah movie. That's why I tweeted about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned it, Cross of Iron. Um, Again, seeing, you know, it's a World War II movie in English from the Nazis' point of view or the bad guys' point of view, the Germans' point of view, right? Um, And uh, the main character there, again, named Steiner, right? Um, (laughs) It's it's kind of... uh, It's a a character we, we need... If we're going to tell stories of um, heroic, know, Ger- no- heroic, heroic World War II Germans. Yeah, yeah you need someone like that. The world-weary, uh, battle-weary, but honorable uh, Prussian-style um, military officer who who isn't a Nazi, but is fighting for his country and will do so honorably. It's a character we like and kind of need to have if we're going to have uh, World War II st- movies right because you can't make them all devils Um, right because yeah because yeah because the the audience will get turned off and just yeah yeah you won't have much of a plot i want to i want to point out other parallels so uh yep uh, going to jack higgins himself um his mother was irish um his father was probably english but uh didn't live you know there's no evidence that they he spent any time he's kind of like uh himself he's kind of like a love child of uh liam devlin and uh this uh molly character right mm-hmm. um he's he goes to ireland as a youth uh with his mother then comes back to england to be educated um apparently gets really into reading um and I guess eventually into writing because he's reading to his grandfather um, uh, at the at his like sick bed, uh, Charles Dickens or something, and and he's got this you know being Irish uh, and English is not the easiest thing anytime you're more than one thing and there's a number of characters like that in here where they are we're dealing with their backstory as much as we're dealing with their story. So one of the things is completely cut out of the film, um, but is essential to the plot of the book in a certain sense, is the um, the Steiner father story, right? Steiner's father is a major general who's on the shit list for the Nazis. 
mm-hmm. and they're holding his life and death uh, in in the balance. You know, if you do this mission, you'll get your your father off his death sentence. Um, and of course, the, Himmler portrays that, right? Um, that's completely cut out of the movie, and all those those back details about who's doing what, like even Joanna Gray, who I think is incredibly sympathetic in the book. Um, she gets to shout out her line that makes her sympathetic in the movie. And it's almost like so small that you can't really respect her because it's just not enough. Right. Yeah. I I mean, in in the, in in the book, we get the the layered explanation of, yeah, how, how she was, she was a bore, bore and, Wound up in a concentration camp and was raped saw and her, done hard. Saw her sister and her mother, no, her daughter and her mother starved to death. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just like, I mean, in the movie, it's like, oh, did you think the Nazis invented concentration camps? That's Which right. is true, but it's, but it doesn't. But until that point, we have no reason or understanding why Joanna Gray is uh, operative Stalin. We, we're given right. no context for it. it's like. Why should why should this it's person a really be under, to get to village? Underplayed in the film, and and the thing is, is it's her, Liam Devlin, um, Steiner, um, all of the, and then it goes right even to Churchill, right, with the American uh, mother, right? It's like why are these people in this situation? It's just a sort of a whim, a chance of history. There's a lot of that. Um, they, they they play it up in the movie as well with uh, a scene that's not in the in the book. You know which one I mean, I assume. Which one? Oh, uh, the where um, Robert Duvall, who who you, you know, you're saying Michael Caine steals the film, uh, yeah. or the Steiner character steals the film. I think Robert Duvall steals the film even more than uh, from Donald Sutherland than does Michael Michael Caine. Um, Robert Duvall is just amazing in this film. It's just like all the little yeah. mannerisms with his his, uh, you know, getting his glove on and checking his um, his uh, eye patch, right? And yeah. and then, you know, making sure he's all decked out so that they can shoot him uh, in ignobly yeah. um, is just terrific. Um, he says um, to his assistant or his sergeant. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Take take the jeep and get your family out. That what you think of? Well, no, no, the Jung, the Jung quote that is not in the book. Oh, um, about synchronicity. Um, but that is, though the quote's not in the book. The idea that, you know, things could line up just perfectly, and a, a crazy idea by the by the Nazi leader, uh, by Hitler, could somehow uh, line up with providence in a certain sense although that's not the right word to use here um yeah the, the thing yeah, is, that's, is that's the artist uh, the, uh, the the artist's hand or the um the uh author's hand in saying you know huh what if <laughs> right well it, it's it's a very man in the high castle idea too it is is and and uh, this what's amazing is you know all the things about this book that we we enjoy Almost everything is lifted from something. So there are actually two movies. It's mentioned right in the uh, Wikipedia entry for the the novel. There are two movies from World War II, during World War II, that inform the plot of this. One is called Warn, Warn That Man, 
and the others uh, called "Went the the Day Well." Oh, I was, I was going to bring up this. I was going to bring up this movie and wonder if you had seen it. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've seen so, "Went the Day Well." I haven't heard. I haven't uh, seen Warren but, that man. So the reason why I was able to see "Went the Day Well," which is kind of a random movie to watch, is it is kind year, of random. Years years ago, far away, I was in a role playing play by email role playing scenario. Actually, it was a whole campaign set on set on a distant world, relatively primitive, and the culture kind of like Siena, Italy, with with little factions and houses and what and struggling. And there was there's a galactic empire out there, but generally they didn't intrude upon affairs on this on this backwater planet. And we basically played backwater people living our lives and doing things on this planet. So. Our our dear GM for a winter event decided to basically run a scenario where we had wound up in a village on the planet, and then these soldiers started appearing, and it turned out she basically lifted the plot of went the day well, except ah. having, except having uh, imperial soldiers from space be the ones that are invading the village, not German soldiers, to the point where she even had the candy bar as the as the reveal of. That these were not locals because we didn't have candy bars on the planet. Why would this child suddenly have a candy bar? Oops. Mm. So it's like, and so then afterwards, after I played the scenario, I, I watched the movie to see you know, see all the little things she had lined up from the movie into 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 the scenario, and it was really well done. So that's the, that's you the reason. Always I was, do that, I think. In <laughs> you know, you find some obscure movie with a great plot, um, and and put it into your game. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily follow it, but the setup is the important part, right? Yeah, and she did it really well. It was really good. So uh, I'll just make it a little more clear. Went the day well is, um, yeah, Nazi paratroopers take over a village, right? Warn That Man uh, was also a 1943 movie. Uh, Went the day well is 1942. Um, Warn That Man is um, set in a country estate. Uh, and somebody impersonates someone else in order to kidnap Churchill. So what's interesting is Jack Higgins is uh, a kid during World War II. He probably saw both of these movies. Um, whether he, he remembered seeing them or not, it doesn't really matter. The important part is he's lifted the ideas and combined them, combined it with the title, and this is actually not his, you know, his first novel. It's, it's, it's his breakthrough novel as well. It's the one where um, suddenly it was just a huge hit, in part probably because the, the title's good, the subject's good. Um, it, it combines a bunch of really interesting things. It's right in the, the sweet spot for World War II uh, books. Uh, paperbacks in the 70s were huge. And the when's that... Um, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich come out. That's in the 70s, isn't it? Maybe late 60s. Um, uh, who uh, is that by Spear? Um, I Rise and the Fall of the Third Reich. Shire. 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 Oh yeah. Okay. Um, that, Spear has his. 19, 1960 was when it came out. Uh, Albert Spear had his. Oh, Inside the Third Reich was his, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, William Shearer's Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Is Otto Skrzeny even wrote a book in the, in that period? Um, 
everybody's writing paperbacks back then because it's it's a huge industry it's a huge market um and the eagles landed was a huge huge hit for jack higgins it turned him into a famous writer um and you know he had had a big back catalog but it was not a big deal but there's something about the the way the parallels work in this that i think it just it it's what makes it really interesting and really really good with all these characters sort of mirroring each other and being um mirroring situations so one of the other examples I, I thought of is children. How were children dealt with in this book? Um, well, Devlin, <laughs> um, he keeps saying things like, um, you keep teasing me, I'm going to come over there and rape you, right? Uh, pretty much throughout the, the, the book. And we're, we're kind of respectful of the fact that he's, he's saying, you know, stop teasing me because you're getting me hot. Um, but uh, it sounds a little bad today. I note in the film they aged her up a little bit. Um, oh yeah. I don't know if that's because uh, the actress was just you know would not make a good seventeen year old uh, or not. But they they did up her age a little bit, and so there's that relationship. But there's also the two children who uh, fall in the uh, in the water wheel. Yeah, and, and you talk about you were talking about fate and synchronicity. I mm-hmm. mean, that's that's basically in the in the book and in the movie what basically gives the game away and what exactly. ruins the plot is just this accidental uh, a bit, accidental child falling order and the German shoulder deciding to save try to save them and yeah, revealing his true nature and in in the doing. That's what uh, I mean. Just like small change and the whole plot goes to uh goes to crap notice that the priest um the priest says the reason i'm i'm proud to say the reason your your terrible plot to kidnap slash kill hitler i'm not hitler uh, churchill is was foiled because of my sister and then steiner in the film and in the book and in the audio drama is very clear to point out that no it's not your sister it's because my soldier jumped in there and saved those kids, right? And he's so, absolutely right. He is right. But the thing is, is none of this is history, right? So this is uh, – uh, I'm just interested in like how is this constructed? Why do I like this book so much? Why do I like the movie so much? I think it's because of that point and also the the setup, which is shown in the book and in the uh, – the uh, in the movie, although it's kind of chronologically broken in the movie, um, where we see Steiner saving a child, right? The Jew Jewess who's on the uh, train, right? Um, he pulls out Briefly, a pistol, points yeah. it at the head of the the SS guy, and frees the child, right? But but in the movie, it doesn't last because the other SS, the SS general shoots her. That's right. And in the book, wait, wait, we yeah, find the, out she's still alive or something, right? Yeah, I, I prefer the book version. It's like because, <laughs> I agree, I agree. because but, it's it's a it's a little less uh, worthless gesture on his part. It's actually actually made a material different. He made material difference, right? In, which in which is book. funny because that's that's what the whole book is too, and the whole movie is right. It's kind of a useless gesture because they're what what, what are they going to do? Why do you want to? As Canaris puts it. Uh, kill kill Churchill when we've already lost the war? 
And and Radel, he his excuse is um, something like, uh, well, it might help with negotiations, right? He sort of shakes, you know. That's not really the reason he wants to do it. The reason he wants to do it is because synchronicity has lined it up in the same way that Devlin wants to do it. It's because I have an opportunity to do something really special. Um, with uh, Radel, he's dying, right? It's made very, very, very clear throughout the, the book. It's not so clear in the, in the movie that, you know, he's not going to live very long. Uh, with his smoking, his drinking, his heart, his his hand, yeah. his his uh not not his foot. That's the uh, priest in the. In that's the, the priest. Um, that he's that he's dying. This is like a an effort to be greater than he has already been to have some purpose. That sort of thing. It's very interesting, and that's also what the the American colonel wants, right? He wants to be battle tested. Yeah, he's he's been sick. He's been, I mean, because yeah, because he winds on screen having done uh, all this National Guard stuff for years, and finally he's near combat, and yeah, he's not going to miss his chance not, because he's got that pending order to go back to Georgia, which he finds absolutely repellent as an idea, and it's like no, I, 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 I the heck, the heck with uh, getting headquarters say so. I'm just going to be gung ho, and the German, the German troops uh, tear his forces forces to pieces it takes uh well that's because of his incompetence right 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 because of his incompetence is yeah he gets battle tested but the, he's not he is found wanting to so uh, yeah his uh, hagman's death in the in the film version is 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 oh it's his mrs gray mrs gray mrs gray and then shot in the head by mrs gray right it's kind of um it's it's incredibly ignoble and it's not what he was looking for except that's what he got right yeah, um, and in thinking about like when this peri- when this is set, 1943, um, this is a real big issue for a lot of the uh, a lot of the troops, especially the American troops in Europe. Most mm-hmm. of them are not battle tested at all. The, there are the ones who were in North Africa. Uh, some of them are, who are around are in Europe are in Italy, and there, of course, they are battle tested. Um, but majority of them are waiting building up forces doing training um and you know the commandos are not doing that much you know as much as we like to think of the stories they're not you know the diep raid is a raid but it's almost no americans involved it's canadian it's a failure you know there's just very little going on um for a lot of of troops in england um, so there is this sort of pent-up uh, inferiority complex compared to the the Germans, um, who have been fighting continuously since 1939. Um, in that comparison, the Americans don't feel like they're they're doing that great. And it's funny because it's even mentioned. I think it's explicitly mentioned in the in the book, but maybe it's only in the movie. Um, he says. He says about the orders, uh, the Hagman character says about his, his uh, orders, uh, there, every, one, every one of those signatures, none of them has ever been in battle. And then he says, Eisenhower has never been in battle, right? And he's the overall commander. And that's pretty interesting, right? Got all of these folks who who are giving each other orders 
and none of them have seen real combat. That's like, wow, that's true. And so that's why we're kind of on the side of these hyper-competent, world-weary parachute troops, Mm -hmm. even though their mission is kind of the wrong mission. It is is the wrong mission. Uh, And when I was reading the book and then saw the movie, I've I've gone back and forth debating whether or not that, that, Undercuts the story or enhances it. I think it does. I, it does I think both, it all, I think. Yeah. yeah, it does both. Like, I felt kind of cheated at first. Like, oh man, this would not have worked even if it had all gone well. Like, that's, that's right. That's stupid. That's, I mean, that that's the worst kind of secret history ever. It's like, yeah, it's even if they had done it, it would have been. But awful. it's also the war, right? That's the whole thing. Is is what what was what was the purpose of World War Two? It was a big mistake. I, I mean, like, Hitler didn't get what he wanted. Right? Nobody really got what they wanted. It was just like, it, it, so in that way, sense, it, it is a parallel, right? It's a, a kind of a grotesque um, miniature version of the war itself in that you've got a whole bunch of, uh, I mean, yeah, they're, they're in the, country that has a Nazi swastika on the flag. But not everybody in the German army, uh, in fact, most most of the people in the German army are just, they're just people. They're just men. They're not particularly uh, fascistic, right? They're drafted, mm-hmm. right? It, we're not talking the SS. This is not um, uh, swearing a blood oath to Adolf Hitler himself uh, as a, a, a an option, uh, you know, a, a choice that you've done. These are people who are just happen to live in a country and are forced to join the army. And you ca- you kind of have to say, well, it was a tragedy for them too. Um, yeah. How did they let their country get that way? I don't know. But uh, the countries get uh, away from people, as you know. <laughs> so they get away oh, yeah. from you. The government... Um, is doing things in your name that you don't approve of. And, uh, I don't see, you know, I don't see the solution. I don't think you see the solution. Um, you know, the one that I see on Twitter all the time is make sure you register to vote. Yeah. Well, if there's no good party to vote for, um, then that's not going to help. It's not going to help. Um, you need to have, you know, some sort of fair, uh, uh, access to actual representatives that might represent anything you might be interested in, which it's t- it's a tough situation. Uh, we're kind of getting away from the book, but we've got, I we've think I think the parallels um, in here are just it, are what really give it so much richness that that make it somehow a breakthrough novel. In yeah, the, because in, because Jack Higgins is still writing novels today, as I yeah, recall. he is, he is. But you know, nobody nobody's. Um, talks about his other books in the way they talk about this one yeah this is the one they have this is the jack higgins novel everything else's commentary so to speak yeah and you know it's because they're yeah and that's okay i mean having one great book is better than no great book so and i'm sure that uh, there are a lot of other good ones it's just um there's something about uh what he's doing like when there's a lot of meta commentary the synchronicity thing that is, it's when um, Steiner says, you know, why I'm doing this is 
I'm not sure, but uh, I'm in the hands of fate or something like that. It's not my choice anymore. Um, when I got set up to be put in this book, I didn't get, I didn't yeah. know what I was getting into exactly. But now that I'm in it, I got to do my job. Or, or, or even st- yeah, look at st- I mean, the movie really shuts it down and doesn't explain it so much. But in the book, the whole idea of Steiner. And this squad being on this on this continual suicide mission with the torpedoes is right. like it's like any any time your number might be up and you might die. It's it's, it's a slow way of killing you. That's kind of like there's fate and chance of 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 their numbers being whittled away as as mishaps accumulate on their squad. And here's their chance at redemption and getting out of it. No wonder they. I mean, the movie doesn't quite make it as clear as a book. Cause like, this is a great deal because it's better than just this slow death that the Nazis have planned for them. You know, um, other interesting facts that th- those, their base in the movie and in the book is in the channel islands. Um, the only part of, you know, greater Britain, uh, that was occupied. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the details, uh, this is why I really, I really appreciate reading a book. By a guy who actually does research and you know cares, he um he says things like uh, they evacuated this island to this ex- you know this extent and um they did this and they did that and then um turns out that actually Jack Higgins lives on in the Channel Islands. Oh, so he knows. Yeah. <laughs> he would know, right? He's, he's the they the um visits to the Norfolk uh, graveyard seem a lot more legit in a certain sense. Um, obviously it's. This is not a true story, but from the internal evidence, it, it's all backing up the idea that this is a true story. And the thing is, is he goes to the extent of saying this is why the records don't appear here and this is why the records don't appear here, right? He's covering his his ass in a certain sense to try and build up the idea that uh, it's a true story. And I think having it a movie uh, immediately undercuts that a little bit right after because when I when I was reading Michael Crichton's books where he does this all the time, where he, uh, for example, we did a show on um, another Michael Crichton book. What was it? Uh, Andromeda Strain? I wasn't on that one. You weren't on the Andromeda Strain? Okay. Nope. Well, in the Andromeda Strain, he does the exact same thing. He's got all this false documentation throughout the book where he basically is saying, oh, this incident actually happened um, – and we almost all got killed by this uh, space virus. Space virus, or it would be a prion today, right? It would be mm-hmm. something. Uh, uh, yeah, protein based. A protein uh, out of control. Um, he he spends a ton of time building up the idea just within the text of the book itself, and copyright page, and footnotes, and afterward, and all that stuff to make you think that this is. This is possibly true in the, almost like a cons, uh, a hoax or conspiracy guy would try and do or a website would do. It's like the reason this doesn't appear there is because of this. It, it was in this paper, but you, you don't have access. Like at the time, nobody had access to incredibly great research materials like we have now. I can go to the Wikipedia entry and find all of the citations and back to their original sources using archive.org and uh, newspapers.com, right? I can I can do the research to show whether something is legit or not in a very easy, accessible way. But at the time, uh, Michael Crichton's just fucking with us, right? He's 
he's manipulating us because he can and we're liking it <laughs> um not in the not not in kind of the quite as an extreme way as uh eric von daniken would right where he's basically just it's it's just spun lies but he, maybe he believes them and he doesn't even really because he puts a question mark at the end of the title right yeah yeah it's it's kind of like in search of all those yes, episodes yes. like yeah the bimini road proves atlantis like yeah no that's just no, not really. that's just normal deposition on the seafloor idiots yeah well, i knew that but back the, then much less know, now every every little kid wants to believe in i mean i was like ogopogo that's a lake monster that's near here and uh <laughs> ogopogo the ogopogo is in uh the okanagan uh part of british columbia it's like uh nessie in or or champ in Lake Champagne. There you go. Yeah. Um, right. And and uh, Sasquatch, you know, Bigfoot, and Yeti, and all of these cryptoids and stuff. Crypt- right. I, I mean, I mean, cryptozoology is fun as an intellectual er- enterprise, and as if much you as can, ghost hunting is. If you, know? you may, if you yeah, but I safely prefer them in novels like say, Sean and McGuire's encrypted novels where. Basically, those I, those creatures are real. They live in the shadows, and there's a few few people want to kill them, and a couple of families that want to protect them and keep them from hurting humans, and vice versa. And yeah, get into wacky adventures. Mm. Those those are those are fun novels. I mean, not, they're not great literature or great art, but Charlie McGuire can spin a tale and make it work pretty well. So, but I I I, I, I keep. Yeah, Bigfoot and all that stuff to those novels and not to real life. That, I mean, I mean from a biological standpoint, if there really were a family of big feet in the Pacific Northwest, we know it. <laughs> you just you just can't hide. So I keep mean, going out there in the woods and looking. You'll know, you'll see him one day. Yeah, yeah. It's just as a, a, a biological population leaves traces, and we'd find indisputable traces long before now. Same thing for Nessie. Was is Nessie an immortal single sea serpent sitting in that lake in yeah. in Scotland? Dad, yeah, that's 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 silly. Yeah. But so yeah. So going 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 back to the book. I I mean I mean I don't know if you could write this book today with 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 the explosion of knowledge and false fake fake news and misinformation yeah i think i mean that it can't it ends up being uh inglorious bastards right because the uh, what's so funny about the uh, them killing hitler is like uh to me i'm like what <laughs> you just said that this movie like is bullshit or history's bullshit or uh, but the thing is, is for us you know, people who know um you know that that didn't happen uh it's like okay um that was weird but the but um as uh, my friend steen pointed out um he, there's a website called today i learned you know like just little interesting factoids from history mm-hmm. and one of them one of the ones he pointed out is like oh my god people don't know this <laughs> is uh in 1986, O-rings, uh, faulty O-rings on the uh, space shuttle led to a disaster. It's like, yeah, hey, you didn't know that? I was there at the time. Uh, yeah, of course. And like, um, the thing is, is they knew it too at the time, and they were saying we need to fix these. And and uh, bureaucracy is like, yeah, whatever. Um, right. 
Um, bureaucracy, so, quality control. I mean, there are O-rings in the product of the company I work for, and yes, they do fail. Luckily, they don't cause space shuttles to fail. Right, right. They just, just cause fan clutches to fail, but still, O-rings are more important than I, you'd ever <laughs> imagine. I think they would be, yes. They uh, keep things as they uh, they should be placed. But uh, there, I think one of the reasons that you can't have this book being written today is not just because of, you know, although maybe it's the same thing. Um, you know, the reason there were so many great World War II movies in the 70s is because you're coming off of, off of World War II only 30 years before, right? It's only a short period before. Now we are moved on, what, how many years ago is it? 60, 70, almost 80 years ago. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. Right? How can you how can you uh, how can you uh, have anybody who has any cultural memory? Right? There's there's no one in the Pentagon who was in World War II, right? There's no one in the Pentagon who was in in uh, the Korean War. There's no one in the Pentagon almost who was in the Vietnam War now, and that is that the cultural uh, knowledge that that goes with having experienced these things you know lived through them um read the newspapers gone to the movies disappears in a way that these 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 books and movies are all sort of the the dinosaur bones of of the period of time afterwards the cultural legacy it's a leftover and a very interesting leftover but um i i i, I don't I, I, see any of these movies on netflix if you know what i mean uh, you, I mean, you know, lots of them are just only on DVD. Sometimes you get re-released. They, otherwise, yeah, otherwise they molder and you uh, don't ever uh, account. I mean, I bought Where, Where Eagles Dare on DVD years ago because, well, hey, my dad liked this movie. I remember having good times watching this. I will buy it so I could keep it. But is is it on is it on Netflix now? No. I, they, they almost have, at least Canadian Netflix, there's almost no movies uh, that aren't from the 2000s and the ones that are older they're very few i mean every um, once in a while there's a 1940s movie or a 50s I, movie. I i just checked american netflix they don't they don't have the dvd available so they don't whoops. even have the dvd wow yep yep so it's just like yeah yeah i haven't spun a dvd in a long time uh, I, just, I i still buy dvds because because of the reason of like you know, stuff falls in and out of streaming, and sometimes yeah. I want to keep a movie. I don't buy any DVDs as I used to, but yes, every so often. So I want to keep something and not have it be subject to the vicissitudes of being available because it's <laughs> in or out of streaming. Like I bought, like I bought the DVD set of Westworld right. because I really enjoyed that and I want to keep it. So that's, the, you're talking the, the TV show, right? Yes, I'm talking about the TV show. The second TV show, not the. The, the first I, I, I actually do have the Westworld movie somewhere deep in my DVD collection. No, no, the, there was a Westworld. Uh, uh, oh, that one? No, I don't have that. Show as well. No, no, no. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it might be on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, no, I don't have that. I don't even know if it's available. But I have <laughs> I the I have the original movie, and I have this new TV show because I want to keep that because you know, like, so if it falls out of streaming and I want to watch it, I can't. It's like, I I yeah. think uh, I think it's. Uh, incredibly important i i don't know how you culturally institute this i think uh, 
old television systems were designed to be incredibly cheap and uh that's why we got a lot of the you know movies on tv uh, is because it's cheap content they can put it on they put on some ads they cut it to the right length and you could see movies but this movie came out uh when i was three or two something right 1975 um 1976 1976 i was five yeah i was five uh, or six right uh no i was four okay so i i didn't see this in the theater um, I, it would never even have shown in a rerun in a theater. Um, I saw it on VHS or, yeah, I'm sure it was VHS and then DVD. And wanting to see movies from, uh, when you, before you were born is a kind of a weird thing. They don't, I don't think a lot of people do that anymore. Um, and I think that it's because television like- has trained it, uh, trained us not to. Yeah, and I and I find in the science fiction community, I find that extends to books as well. It's like if it's if, it, if, it, if it's old, I don't want to read it, and it's and yeah, and I you mean, read I, a ton of modern stuff. So uh, and, 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 and the fact and also, that you read old stuff as well is astounding. But that's how I started because now we've gone way out of the bounds bounds of this movie but I'll, I'll be brief so i started reading science fiction because my older brother who was seven years older than i was got me into it so i started by reading his stuff which was which was out of date by by a decade or more <laughs> at the time i was reading it in the early 80s so i'm reading stuff from the the 50s 60s and early 70s even though the, the calendar is 1981 so i've always had this like look at the past and try to find the good stuff dug in. So, I mean, I eventually started moving to modern stuff, but I've always like wanted to read and reread old stuff just because of the goodness of there. Like say what the sitting in the stars we did, for example, mm-hmm. just as, mm-hmm. just as one example, Oh, or ring world ring world was sure. Ring world came out before I was born. And I love that novel. So Dune, me too, which we're going to be doing on the, on the podcast. That's a spoiler folks in, in coming <laughs> months. Same di- same difference. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I I find it's much better to mind the past than to try to sieve the few the present. It's it's just I need I need lots of people reading the modern stuff to tell me uh, whether anything is modern is good. But uh, I don't have to ask my friends to read old books for me because people have already done that. Right. And everyone, if somebody puts up a review on of an old book on a blog somewhere, mm-hmm. um, that's a good sign that they bothered to even finish an old book. Because how did they pick that old book? Just at random? Maybe. But Maybe. if you keep seeing it come up again and again um, as a name, uh, you know, as a title, um, that's probably a good sign. And uh, I, I like to explore. Uh, that's what I've, I've been trying to do. Right is explore the boundaries of what makes something interesting and as a good book. And what makes this a good book is not that it's a World War II book. It's not that it's uh, you know, it's it's um, it's really mysterious because the false documentation to me I think makes it more interesting um, as a phenomena. And I don't see a lot of people doing that uh, today anymore, but there's or, a... or, or documentation in, in general. A side note: um, <laughs> yeah. a, a novel I just 
finished reading came out last year called A Plague of Giants. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the framing story, it's basically the aftermath of this fantasy world, this fantasy continent being invaded from two sides. The, 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 the framing story is this bard who has gone around and gotten all the stories of all the people who involved this invasion. And basically the framing story is him telling this city about what happened in all these places because he's gone around and gotten the research he's gotten the journals he's talked to the people and now he's telling the story and and uh, spinning up what happened where and when and why which i found really interesting so that, that's a, a book about uh a, a, a documentation of a of a war society? yeah of, okay. a, of a war and yeah and have how, how the different societies on the continent dealt with 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 the uh, invasions, yeah. Hmm. It was Kevin Hearn's *A Plague of Giants*. Yeah, I find that really interesting. That narrative is really interesting. Hmm. It's a, it's it's something that's you know like framing stories, uh, false documentation. They're not like, um, uh, it's almost like the uh, you know the second person narrative. It's a very very rare phenomena. Um. I, I did uh, SSGB with Eric Rabkin on this uh, podcast, and that's uh, you know alternate history World War II. Um, uh, there's uh, Fatherland by yeah Robert Harris. Robert Harris, right? Um, again, alternate history World War II, um, but they're not really. This is a, is pretty pretty much as far as I'll go outside of the mainstream genre. But the reason I like it, I think, is because of that, of that sense of like, wait a second, like I literally thought, did this really happen while I'm listening to it? There's there's, there's enough detail in what, and in the in the truth, like Canaris and all the documentation of the places and endless documentation. And yet, it seems. right. So so that the false documentation kind of fits in right with the rest of the real documentation. So it almost feels like this could have happened because. It seamlessly tra- fits in with the rest of the holes. Like he's got he's got the details of the Channel Islands and Canaris and the he knows and, everything about the airplanes and the guns and the right. parachutes and the and trucks and rationing. I mean, he knows all that. The Fry Corps guy. Remember the Fry Corps guy who's who's completely ex- excised from the book uh, from the movie. Yeah, yeah, the so, English Fry Corps. Yeah, I I think he's he's again. This is the reason he's in there. Is in part because and he's not in the movie. He's in part because it's another parallel. Um, so you've got a, a a British man in a Nazi uniform, literally SS uniform, right? He's been told, uh, and this is a real thing, right? The Fry Corps was act. The thing is, is, the documentation on the Fry Corps is very bad because they kind of uh, wanted. I think what I think what we can infer is that. Whoever was in charge of these guys, uh, the British Fry Corps, anyways, um, wanted to help them out because they were fucked, right? They were on the losing side of a war, and they they chose wrongly, right? It's we don't like it when they're Nazis, but they when they are our side and they choose to be Nazis, those guys are not going to do well, right? They don't have enough power or prestige to to be like uh, or or technical knowledge. They can't be uh, uh, Operation Paperclipped over and you know what denazified, right? These guys are going to end up in prison or hung. Um, so in 
in the in the book, that's what happens to this guy, right? He how, how does he die? I can't even remember. Which guy? The what's the Preston is his name. Remember Preston? He's yeah. the Harvey Preston, SS Free a British Free Corps or Fry Corps uh, officer attached to Steiner's unit to add credibility, right? Um, I don't think that's why he's added by the uh, Jack Higgins. A convinced Nazi and a convicted con man prior to his enlistment, Preston is viewed by disgust uh, with disgust by Steiner, Devlin, and their fellow commandos. This is this is somebody who's attached to them, right? Oh yeah, and it says Preston is lynched inside the village Roman Catholic Church by right, a mentally right. ill resident of Studley Constable. Who yeah. kills him? It it uh, I don't think I would actually get the name. It's just like one of the people in the uh, or so, so so what's his name kills him? Um, the, 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 the 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 uh it's in the novel to get the guy that's mentally. It's not so much in the film because he's not mentally ill. Though. Yeah, he gets shot in the in the movie, right? He gets shot by, in the movie, but yeah, Joe, but he's, uh, he's, by he's, Molly. Right, he's the guy that wants to get uh that uh, tries to sexually assault Molly in the in the book. Um, and in the movie, kind of too, yeah. Yeah, in, in the movie, kind of too. So. So yeah, this is really interesting to me. Like, why is Harvey Preston in the the book at all? Um, I I think. Carl. Probably. Sorry? Carl. What's his name? Uh, Wasn't it Carl? I'm looking at the novel characters list, so I don't... It says Harvey Preston. Maybe they called him Carl. I don't know. Oh, well, no, no, no. Carl's a different character, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Okay. Um, he's just a... So there's two officers, right? In yeah. in the uh, book, there's two officers. There's the uh, one who's been with... Um, Steiner the whole time, and then there's uh, this guy who's forced on them, and I think it was Himmler says you have to take this guy, right? Um, and uh, they took him, but they didn't like him, right? They hoped he would break his leg in training. Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, that was. And then the reason they're bringing him is because he he's a he speaks perfect English because he's British, right? Um, we in the book we find like. We don't like him because he's he's everything we don't like about traitors. Um, and the idea of traitors is in here throughout. Like with, is Molly a traitor? She helps Devlin. Well, Devlin's not a traitor. He's Irish and he's an IRA, right? But Irish are British, <laughs> according to some, right? And so she sees him as a traitor. And this idea of who's the traitor... Uh, and giving you a whole bunch of different characters to see what a traitor looks like is very interesting. The, um, the uniforms thing is the same idea, right? We are wearing British uniforms or Polish uniforms, but underneath our Polish uniforms are our German uniforms. Yep. Um, and we'll fight with our German uniforms. We're, yes, we're using these as a, a disguise, but it's not that bad. One of the things, uh, I, I, Used to make my students um, uh, write essays based on Otto Skrzeny, just because he's so interesting, right? Interesting. Yeah. So um, one of the things uh, you learn about Otto Skrzeny is when he was put on trial um, after the war, um, he was accused of doing exactly what uh, these guys do, you know, wearing enemy uniforms, um, 
during the war, that's a you know, uh, you should be hung or shot for that because it's uh, against the conventions of war. However, um, in his trial, the defense brought a, 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 Mer a British commando in and said, um, we did the same thing. Don't. Yeah. So uh, we know that Otto Skrzeny, one of the things he did was uh, during um, uh, Battle of the Bulge, he had his, his troops dressed in American uniforms with captured Jeeps, carrying captured rifles, right? Misdirecting traffic um, at junction points. So, you know, a convoy full of soldiers would drive up to a junction point. They'd move the signs and point them in the right direction, as in the wrong direction, away from the battle. Um, so Otto Skrzeny was, was convicted of, of some stuff, but not that. Um, so in a sense, we can understand, yeah, they're cheating, but they're cheating in an honorable way, kind of, right? And that's what's so interesting about this book is it's got that it's, it's asking us what makes something noble, especially in war, what is legit and what isn't, and who's in the right. And for a long time, I was thinking, this town is actually pretty horrible, especially the way it's depicted in the book. The, 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 the way they basically condone Molly being treated by, yeah, by the mentally ill residents like that's right liam tries to intervene and yeah the, the, the town basically says lay off yeah this is this is none of your business yeah liam beats the crap out of him right right and they're saying stop it um and and when he's liam's greeted in the when he comes in and we like him he comes in and he says god bless all here into the bar um, this this character is like, no, I'm not accepting a drink from you. And next time you see me, uh, you better leave, right? And the sense we get the sense that this is lo the local bully. And there's no, unlike in the film, there's no policeman in this town. Um, and it makes me think about how people treat were treated in such situ situations. Some people there are it's. Male privilege, right? Maybe is the idea is that he, this guy's allowed to be grabby, grabby on anybody. And I think it's said that he's he's done sexual assaults in the community prior, right? Uh, or it's very strongly implied, anyway. Yeah, and and you know he hasn't been uh, thrown in jail or been executed or anything like that. Um, but this is in the old days, right? The way they de dealt with this is. Yeah, this is a tough situation. That's somebody's family member. And you can't just, you know, take him out in the backyard and shoot him in the head because it's going to cause a feud um, within the town. It's going to, it's not going to lead to good things. The traditional way of dealing with it was exile, right? Yep. And, and he's also, he can't be just thrown into the army because he's got some deficiency. They said uh, was a pierced eardrum or something like that. Um, or he's he's off, right? Um, so how to deal with him? How to deal with uh, traitors? How, how, this is a very big book. It feels like there's a hell of a lot going on, and I was in sympathy with pretty much everybody, even the pathetic um, Preston, who is completely excised from the movie. It's 
no, only you know, only Himmler comes off really bad in this. I think played by Donald Pleasance, which in the movie, which is really, oh, yeah, very really well nice. Done. Yeah, yeah, really, really he, nice to I, see. I, I, uh, this is a few years before Escape from New York, where he played the slimy president. That right, it's, right. it's like it's like oh, that's yeah, it's Donald Pleasant as Himmler. That that makes perfect sense. Now, where's Nick Pliskin when you need him? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Um, now that you mention it, Escape <gasps> from New York is kind of this book, yeah. isn't it? Oh God, you have isn't a that point? interesting. Oh, I not thought of that until you just said that right now. Oh God, you you have you have such a good point. Uh, it, the thing is, so, so, these so are really Steiner. connected. Yeah, absolutely. I and, like that. And everything we love about Snake Plissken, right? He's a traitor in a certain sense. He, um, in the audio drama version that my friend Bill Holweg did, uh, he he dramatized the the excise sequence from the film. Uh, where Snake Plissken robs the Federal Reserve, right? He's literally stealing money from the from the people of the United States, and he's the hero. It's because the United States is a dystopia, right? Yep. And Steiner is kind of the hero here as well, because the country he lives in is a dystopia. Yeah, right? I, I, yeah. He's he and he threw and he's tried to stop uh the girl from being shot in uh. In the ghetto and trying to, yeah, you know, he's fighting against the government, even though he's a war hero. That's very Snake Plissken. Yeah, and and the idea of you know, Snake Plissken doesn't wear an iron cross, uh, with oak leaves and all the all the no. the badge patches that er, we get endless details about. But he he's got the reputation, right? Everybody knows. I thought you were dead. Right? <laughs> Everybody know in this world knows who Snake Plissken is. I heard you were dead. Um, there's something there's something very iconic about a story like this where it is taking real life situations and and circumstances and finding a niche to tell a very iconic story with all these incredibly interesting parallels that um, mirror mirror things that are going on. I just think that it somehow Higgins managed to make a masterful a masterful novel just in, in putting it all together in exactly the right recipe. I'm glad you suggested this novel. He did strike gold. It's a great novel. It's an excellent film. And, and as you see, it has lots of connections to all sorts of stuff far beyond world war two. This has been the SFF audio podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.